Welcome, proud members of the present, to another episode of the Primalosophy Podcast. Thank you all for subscribing on iTunes and following me on social at Primalosophy. If you're a new fire recruit or firefighter, just shoot me a message at Primalosophy.com and I'll teach you everything you need to know for career-long well-being. Today I'm speaking with multidisciplinary artist Daniel Popper. Daniel is known globally for his larger-than-life sculptures and massive public art installations. Daniel is most acclaimed for his work at the Electric Forest Festival, the Boom Festival in Portugal, the Rainbow Serpent Festival in Australia, as well as Africa Burn in South Africa. Before we dive into this episode, hit pause and go check out Daniel's work on his Instagram page at Daniel Popper and prepare to have your mind blown. Enjoy the episode. I grew up in Johannesburg and moved to Cape Town when I was 18. 18. Okay. Were mom and dad creative? Uh, no. No. So, no. so where did the draw come from? Um, I'm not sure, actually. Um, it was just something as a kid I always enjoyed doing and just seemed to have a, an aptitude for it or a passion for it. And, uh, and I just carried on. Yeah. So, so you knew you wanted to be an artist early on? Pretty much. Yeah. There was no real other option. <laughs> okay. What, what do you mean there was no other option? It was uh, like an overwhelming um, sort of, you know, cho- a choice. So it was, uh, you know, it wasn't like I was being drawn in any other direction. And I kind of wasn't going to, um, I wasn't going to just quit being creative because I had, you know, I, I, I because I like had to go become a lawyer or something like that, you know, uh-huh. like that was not an option for me. Yeah. So introverted or extroverted? Um, I would say most, most people would say that I'm extroverted, but I would say that I'm uh, in reality, pretty introverted. All these extroverts just know how to be extroverted. But yeah, I think that's it. So, and that's, uh, you know, I think I th- that's definitely a common, um, it's, it's definitely a common trait with creative people. Yeah. So when did you take your first big trip and leave Cape Town? Um, I would say that my first real big trip, uh, you know, I, I did the whole thing when I finished um, high school. I went traveling for a bit, but I was, you know, I was 18 and I like look back on it and I, I was too young to, to, to go out into the world, you know, like I wasn't really processing what was going down. I mean, also, traveling back then was such a different story to traveling now, you know, like, um, there was no, no, no internet really back then. Yeah. What year was it when you were 18? Um, 2000 and 2000. Okay. Do you think you couldn't appreciate what you were saying? Definitely. Like I was just, I was just a kid, yeah. I, you know, at 18, you don't think you're a kid, but you're a kid, you know? Oh yeah. So, yeah, and uh, you know, and and the things that appeal to you back then are not are not things that actually serve you, in, you know, in your experience. You know, they just, you know, it's 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 so, it's social stuff. And the places that you want to go are going to differ, you know, as you get older too. Where where did you take off to? Yeah, I mean, I I did a bit. I did most of Europe. So when I was eighteen, and you know, and a lot of it's based around experiences and parties and festivals and clubs and stuff like that and it's um whereas now you know i'm you know i'm drawn to you know like ancient history <laughs> like ancient history to me at 18 wasn't really anything i was that interested in ancient history is in is in what 
like the ancient cities of the world, like Jerusalem, Varanasi, Egypt, you know, and the stories behind those ancient cities. That's kind of thing interests me a lot now. Um, whereas back then, I wasn't really too too interested in that. Very cool. So your your wife's from LA. How did you meet? Uh, so so that was so my 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 first real big trip overseas. That sort of when we kick started everything for me was. Um, it was in 2016, I think it was. Uh, no, 2012. Um, it's 2000, yeah, 2012. Um, I was uh, invited to to create some of the decoration pieces for the main dance floor at Boom Festival in Portugal, um, and that's when my what I you know I used what I did as a you know, as a means to go traveling. Um, so, so that's, you know, I, I kind of also have, uh, you know, that sort of youthful interest as a, a key uh, thing to blame for what I do, what I, you know, for, for how I do what I do, because basically I was like, the question I was like, how can I, how can I go traveling and go to music festivals around the world and not have to pay for it? Right. That's the <laughs> dream. Know? Yeah. And I was much younger, you know, I was like early twenties. So, um, so I was like, well, let's create artwork and, and, you know, offer my artwork as a, as a, as a means to go traveling, you know? So basically it was doing the, doing the gigs for a free ticket back uh-huh. then. You know, they weren't even paying for my flights, but I was like, if I can just get a free ticket and some free meals, you know, at these events, that, that would be awesome. Um, and so in 2012, I was invited to create, um, these big, like dragon serpents for the main dance floor at Boom Festival. Uh, it was such a crazy ride. Like I went with my girlfriend at the time and I had no idea what I was doing. But we just went and did it, and the results were absolutely amazing, and we had such a fantastic time, and then also started a, an amazing relationship and um, and and connection, deep deep friendship with the uh, with the founders of that festival, and it's a, every two years it's a it's a visionary arts festival in Portugal, um, and so it's so I every two years I've been obviously been invited back and. Um, they just give me complete creative freedom to do whatever I want to do. Um, and in 2016, um, I went, I was, uh, I went and I created this, uh, um, giant shaman that was like almost the centerpiece of the festival because the theme of the festival was shamanism, um, because it's very much focused on like the visionary arts and visionary healing, um, methods. So, yeah, it was at that festival. My wife was actually she was working in artist management at that festival, and um, I was trying to get my friends' um, wristbands to come and camp with us in artist camping. And so I kept going and hassling the the lady dealing with the artist management with the wristbands, and she said, and she thought I was a one of the drivers who was you know driving in transportation, driving the artists uh-huh. back and forth. Um, because I kept coming back to the to the station, you know. Um, yeah, and then I just uh, you said, "No, no, no! I I made that thing." <laughs> no, no, she hadn't even seen it because she was working on the total other side of the festival. But um, yeah, I just uh, you know, I asked her for breakfast in one morning, and then yeah, and that was it. Now we have a beautiful. Now we have a beautiful baby. 
baby one-year-old baby girl and uh, we married and travel the world going uh, and creating yeah. crazy sculptures all over the place that's incredible so I want to go back it all started in 2007 as a creative passion project and it was at the first Africa burn you'd never created a sculpture before um, no I had not I imagine you know your work obviously stands out far above the crowd so did the offers just start rolling in for new projects no they did not no. No, 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 no. So, um, you know, I think also there's uh, the, the, a, a huge, um, a huge part of, 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 of what I do and, and, you know, the, the amazing reach that my work has definitely, um, owes a lot to the rise of social media. So back then, um, it was a different world. There was no Instagram back then. And, um, there was definitely, especially at the at the at the burns, um, the motives for creating work was different for a lot of people because now people realize the the reach and the um, exposure that they get, you, you know, with social media when they create something. So back then, that wasn't in the picture. It was just it was just about creating stuff and taking risks and trying new things. And I was just experimenting, and I was I, I definitely was self-aware enough that I said to myself you can do this you can take the risks you can use what little money you have to try these new things and you can definitely fail at them and you can definitely make bad work mm -hmm. and I was self-aware enough to know that I could do that because the risks were low because when you're young you can do you can take those risks I mean a lot of young people don't realize that that, that you can you can make a big mess when you're young it's okay <laughs> you know it's when you get older that you start to get more concerned about making a mess you know right so do you think with the advent of social media that a lot of these passion projects turned into profit projects definitely absolutely so um so because back then uh, you know, I was, I was creating this, this stuff at Africa Burn. There wasn't really social media yet. Like the it, when it was in 2012 or 13 when I created that um, large sculpture with the hands wide open. It was called Reflections. Mm. Uh, it was a huge sculpture and it was a huge step for me. And also, again, like no real idea what I was doing. So working with a team um, felt, you know, felt like a a cowboy like on a horse that I'd never ridden before, you know? Uh, and, uh, but it was awesome. And, uh, there was no social media really back then. Um, uh, and it's super cool to see because, and I've spoken to a lot of architects about this as well. It's like you create something, um, at a time and like, uh, you don't know what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, like, 10 years later, somebody shares this thing on social media and it like gets shared around the world and all these people see something that 10 years ago, only a handful of people saw. Obviously, it's when you're younger, it's a little bit easier to fail. Pretty much your motto is like, if you're going to do it, do it big. So if you're going to fail, you're going to fail big. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I did definitely, like, I guess I started off what was small for me now back then, but I started off, you know, creating that, that hand, one hand coming out of the ground, you know, yeah. then I tried, then I tried to do something a little bit bigger the next year, you know, and then the next year I came and it did that half a torso. Uh, 
And um, I was definitely also self-aware enough also to just ask a lot of um, clever people for help. So um, that definitely mitigated the failure right. because I wasn't alone. Uh-huh. I had a whole team of, of clever people helping me out. So, and, but there were, that was not, it was definitely not a career back yeah. then. I was still uh, trying to figure stuff out. I was still nervous of like uh, where my career was going. And I, I got into the performing space as well. So I started creating like giant puppets and performing them around at events. Um, I did a gig for the, for the Football World Cup where you know, I did some brand activation work and I was working a lot with brands trying to offer innovative ways for you know for marketing and I still you know I still try do that a little bit but not too much in it it's now really more about my own work um, but yeah I was I wasn't sure if it if it was a, if it was a career back then it was something I was kind of just like seeing if could maybe become one and there was also no one really who had done it before me yeah. who, I, who I could model my career on yeah, yeah well, we're all glad that you stuck with it and saw it through i mean from the boom shaman to the heads on stage at electric forest to the new or the newer anima in vegas your work just keeps getting cooler and cooler do you set aside time yeah. each day to come up with new ideas um i, do, I don't i i'm you know i try to be one of those like practical um you know uh, you know as you saw um on on, on tim ferris's newsletter like you know she read a lot of his books and when you listen to his stuff and a lot of these guys, they, they seem to like compartmentalize their days very rigidly, you know? It's like we're going to wake up in a morning routine. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're gonna, you know? And I've tried to do that, but it's it's very, very tough to, to do. I'd, I'd, I'd love to have uh, compartmentalized, but I, I definitely do try and cre- you have to create the space to be to, to be creative. And then, and then again, uh, brief, you know, briefs come in. You know, I'll get I'll get a you know a brief from a client from a potential client that like they want this they want that, so now it's you know just now it's work time you know, yeah. so it's kind of intense because there's a there's the pressure like you you know I've got to design something now you know and then there's also the balance of waiting for a a, a beautiful idea to arrive. Right. Now I'm interested. When you see these locations first, do you, do you see them and then build specifically for that location? And where do those ideas come from? Yeah. So, um, so that's uh, I definitely when it comes to doing permanent installations, I've been moving into that um, space a lot lately. Um, like the uh, resort um, space and um, you know private residences and stuff like that. Um, I have to see the location first, you know, um, and I have to see where the, where the thing is going and what the environment is, and then get an idea of what what they're after in terms of what the you know uh, what what the look and feel of the of the space is. So that that's one thing, and then um, for other things like like festivals, um, festivals are festivals. So sometimes they'll give me a, a rough theme to work with. Or something like, for example, anime at EDC, there was no theme. There was complete creative freedom. They just said to me, please do one of your beautiful art pieces. And, and that was that. I designed that and, you know, and they loved it and it was awesome. So it definitely comes and goes, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, give me an example like that Vegas sculpture. Where, I mean, where did that come from? Where, how did you work that up? Um, so, so they are. They, basically, I was... It's it, yeah, that's an interesting question because a lot of these um, 
a lot of the pieces, and I get this also tie back into that that art piece in Tulum that that has been widely shared on social media. Um, I designed the both of those pieces were designed for other things, and they were just lying in my sketchbook. Hmm. So, like the piece at in Vega in uh, in Tulum with the woman opening up her chest, that piece I des- originally had designed that for Electric Forest. Um, but the guys felt that it was uh, going to be not the right fit for that festival, so they they scrapped they scrapped it off the table and it sat in my sketchbook for like two years. And then uh, when I was asked to do something for for you know for art with me in Tulum, I opened up my sketchbook and I saw that I was like that would be really cool to do there, you know. And so you know it was great because I already had this thing in the bank. Yeah. That's so uh, similar thing happened with uh, with uh, with EDC. I, I actually designed that piece for another event, and that and the event actually landed up not happening. Um, and it were yeah, it was a rough concept, and then I just developed it from there. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's really cool how you build into the environment. You you complement and build around the trees, or the desert, or the stage, or even the beach, and ultimately you're collaborating with nature. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. Yeah. So what is your favorite part of the creative process from the original sketch to the build out? Um, so I think that the, the initial, um, the initial design phase is, is, is often, that's a lot of fun. So, you know, you get, I get, you know, I'll put together some mood boards, do some sketches, um, cause it's a, there's relatively, um, it's relatively risk free at that, at that point, you can take chances on paper that are, you know, and, and it's, and it's cool cause it's, it's just quick and, you know, you can see what things could potentially, where things could potentially go. And then you, you work, you work those and you, until you find something that's kind of resonating and then you take that and then you work, work that more, work that more. Um, and then, then there's the kind of like difficult phase, which is translating that into reality. Um, and that's often not the, that's creative in another way. It's in a more of a sort of mechanical engineering, industrial design way. So there's creative thought. It's more mathematical, but um, so you got a problem solve, which is also fun, um, but it's a different kind of process. Um, it's you know it's 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 less fluid. It's more pragmatic, um, and that will often involve me going and speaking to clever people and being like, how do you think we should do this? What do you think the best way of tackling this issue? You know, where it's like there's cantilevers and weights to consider there's um interesting things of like how are we going to get this thing to fit into a shipping container and where should we cut the sculpture up and whatever whatever um and then and then there's the installation phase um which is often the most nerve-wracking because there's so many unforeseens it's it's quite exciting because you you know things start going together, but it's also nerve-wracking. And then there's also, unfortunately, most ninety percent of these music festivals happen in spaces where the weather is just outrageous. Yeah, that's know? what I was going to ask. Have you ever had anything destroyed? Yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. yeah, and it's uh, you know, and it's it's hardcore, man. It's like you 
putting these things together in extreme heat or extreme wind or extreme rain and it just adds a whole nother level of of pain to that process uh, which I don't enjoy at all and it's just so it's like why can't they just have a music festival in a place where the weather's great you know and I guess it's because wherever the weather's great it's where people are going to live and they don't want to have a music festival where people live it's got to be far away from where anyone lives um, so um, so yeah so there's so there's that process but then there's the then there's then there's the fun process which is the detailing and then there's and adding on like the you know the touches and then there's accidents that happen along the way like a creative accidents i mean where you like you know there's a bunch of materials that you're playing around with and you like you know wood or rope or you know concrete recently and seeing what those materials can do and then seeing what the weather does to those materials and so there's that that's that's a really really fun process have you ever imagined or sketched a project so big that even you were like, "What the hell am I thinking? That's too much." I I I I, I have I have actually I've been recently t um, chatting to some guys about designing some like uh, uh, almost uh, like eighty foot tall um, statues that are giant water slides. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and I was and like I had to take a minute I was like is that real could that actually really happen um, is this safe <laughs> yeah so, so we'll see I don't know well, I think it will happen yeah. we'll see so I'm curious yeah. has plant medicine influenced your work yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah is there is there a specific sculpture that you can think of or piece that was thought up during a psychedelic experience um, no, I wouldn't say that, that, you know, when I was interested in visionary art, like, and the biggest question most visionary artists get asked is, like, are you tripping when you make the work? Like, are you tripping when you design the work? And um, there's, there's absolutely no way that, they, that, that that can happen. I mean, some of them are, but for the most part, like the moments of genius and the moments of really beautiful craftsmanship are happening in a completely sober state, you know. Um, I think that it's just a matter of um, the, those medicines opening you up to um, – to a high level of creativity, not necessarily like um, a vision, you know. So they 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 open you up to a, to a greater flow state, if you will, so that you can just flow through the creative process easier, rather than uh, um, you know you know seeing a vision and then having to replicate that vision. You know, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. It definitely doesn't happen with me. With that being said, I mean, is there a, a plant of choice, uh, a favorite? Um, I would say LSD. It's not necessarily a plant. It comes from a plant, but it's a psychedelic medicine. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people use these for different reasons. It's just it's just another tool, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I use it as a medicine every so often just to bring me back into a, a state of flow. Mm -hmm. and almost cl like clean, cleaning, cleaning the, the synapses, you know? Yeah. So do you have a favorite project, not only because of its beauty, but also because of its response by the crowd? Um, I, I would say the the re recent pro, uh, project at Modem Festival in Croatia was definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, it was un it was and it was it was unexpected. That's why I had I had the least expectations for that project. I didn't know 
I didn't. It was a small festival, you know, and it was a, a favor to the to the guys. I it wasn't something I was like one hundred percent in, like committed. I was like, let's try do this. Uh, there was a, a total. Um, I was like, yeah, there was an element of failure, but I was also like, yeah, if it fails, it's cool. It's not, the, it's not such a big deal, you know. It's a, like these other festivals, you know, like like EDC Tomorrowland. There's hundred to three hundred thousand people, you know. The stage is really massive, and you and the, there's no failure is not an option, you know. On those, so this one was a small underground music festival, and the organizer was totally willing to take the risk with me. And there was also no, uh, there was zero um, uh, creative input. For, they gave me complete creative freedom. Uh, it was like whatever we wanted to do. Uh, we, we definitely changed the the rules a little bit in terms of what a stage should be and how a stage should look. And uh, there was a whole lot of things that went down. And then um, basically also it was a crazy environment. It, and there was a flash flood while we were there on oh, site. No. We stuck in a cabin for like two days with my baby girl. It was a wild ride. Um uh, but and but the organizers of the festival, like some of the loveliest people I've ever worked for, and we just had such a good time. And then when we came back for the actual festival, and the team that I worked with with doing the the visuals, like all of us just couldn't actually believe the outcome. It was so rad, and um, it also it was such a small because it was such a small gathering. Um, you know, I'd say at any given point there were probably two thousand, three thousand people on that in that space. Um, just the the response online afterwards and the imagery was just was just awesome. Like we we walked away from that going like, you know, it's not always about the big uh, the big shows. You know, what was it about that piece that made you so uncertain? Uh, well, I'd never worked with those materials before. I'd never worked with concrete before. This was my first time, and. Um, I didn't have my, my my core team with me, so like rigging it was a little bit interesting. You know, it's like a, like my my lead, my main lead rigger wasn't with me, uh, and you know we're out there trying to figure out how to put this thing together was was some interesting times, um, and then also like uh, you know having the, the DJs hidden was uh, was an interesting one. Uh, it's not it's not. When you change things around, you're going to have people that are like, I don't understand, you know, and they're like, why are you doing this or whatever. Um, so there was, there was those, there, there was, there was, there was levels of uncertainty, but um, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't like questioning it the whole time. There were just moments where I was like, is this going to work? Um, you know, and then, uh, and, and also I didn't, I didn't quite get to finish the piece because of the, just of the timing. So, um, there was there was a whole lot of other th other things that I still wanted to do, but because the piece is permanent, it's really cool because we get to go back there every year for a little vacation and keep adding to the space. Yeah, and for the for a beginner mind like myself who doesn't really understand art to to that extent, it probably looks like that unfinished was meant to be was on purpose. Yeah, totally, totally. So it was only me who knew, and um, you know, and now what's cool is is it's it's a permanent piece in this sort of rainforest environment in Croatia. The aging process of it is gonna be is what's gonna be so like fantastic to watch. Right, that's another thing you have to take into consideration is how it's gonna warp over time. 
Yeah. That's so cool. There's so much that goes into this. So your artwork and the stage fabrications at outdoor music festivals really convey like the spirit of your work. And you've said before that they're intended to create a kind of portal for people to access deeper parts of themselves and their psyche. Tell me more. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's, that, that's a, that's an optimistic intention, but it is cool because it definitely is when I started experiencing large scale installation work at, at music events and, you know, I may or may not have been in any kind of like altered state, but, uh, it, 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 some of them had a profound effect on me, you know, um, there were certain pieces at Burning Man, at Africa Burn, um, from large to small, you know, um, as well as, as well as in the, as well as in the contemporary art world, definitely less in the contemporary art world, but there have been some pieces in the contemporary art world that I've seen that have just like shaken me up, you know, and like, and, 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 and it's made me just, just jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring moments. And when those moments happen, and if you listen to a lot of Jason Silver's talks, those are extremely powerful moments that happen to your whole nervous system. And I, like you, you know, you're not consciously aware of what's happening. But when you are awestruck, and when you are inspired, and when you see something extremely beautiful. It's an amazing thing that happens to your to your to your deep psyche and to your soul. Yeah, it is. It really is just one big collaboration. I mean, you, I got a buddy who does graphic design for some major concert events, and it's just you guys are like the icing on the cake. A lot of the times, the headlining musicians and DJs are not the only thing people remember about the event. Often, it's the artwork that's more important. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, it's you know it it, it doesn't get the same kind of. Of, of budgets and fees as the headlining DJs, even though um, they are less memorable. But uh, we're hoping that that will change. You know. Yeah. Does that get to you? It definitely gets to me, because it's like the these, you know, festival. There's not. Uh, it's definitely changing. Like there's guys in the industry that realize that what's going to sell their tickets is not the headlining DJs. It's the experience that they have. And there's quite a handful of the most successful festivals in Europe that don't announce their lineups because they're not selling their tickets based on who's, who's DJ. Boom Festival being one of them. Fusion is another. Garbage is another. Like, no one's going to those festivals for who's playing. Like, you know, there's no headliner that's selling their tickets. It's the experience that they're providing that's selling their tickets, and they set that trend, you know. And because it can be crippling to an event if they're relying on a headlining DJ to sell their tickets, then they're like a finding that headliner, and then b a huge chunk of them of their of their money is going to that guy. These these guys are charging between one and five hundred thousand US dollars to play for like two hours, you know. Yeah. And uh, and. Uh, you know, she's just think about what, what kind of art we can build for those kinds of budgets, you know. Yeah, and it goes back to that whole philosophical principle of you have the right to the process, but not the outcome. Yeah, so, uh, so you know, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be, that, that they shouldn't be paid. I just think that their fees are, are a little high, you know, in, 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 relation to, in, in relation to what's happening. And then also if you look at these events, the what what happens after the event the social media starts going you know and everyone starts posting their pictures from the festival you would definitely see more pictures of my artwork 
from the festival than you would of that headlining DJ. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have rights to that? Like, you can't post no. this with my pictures in it? No, 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 no rights, no. But it's I'm cool with it. It doesn't matter. Like, right. it must be shared. It's free to share. It's it's a bonus for the festival. Um, you know, I, ju I just it's a, it's a value add. You know. Yeah, you're making these things come to life. I laughed yeah. when you said earlier. I have learned that when someone brings their art to have sex with your art, the results are often out of this world. Tell me about some of your favorite collaborations. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, the, 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 the VJs that I work with, um, those guys are, you know, especially a, a guy named Wayne Ellis, like him and me just work so well together. He's such a talented, um, uh, visual artist and, um, you know, he'll develop some content and we'll come up with some ideas and his skills as a, as a VJ are just so next level. And when, when we work together, it's, the results are just epic, you know, like they, they supersede both of our expectations, which is just such a fantastic feeling. I've also like worked with really great, um, led artists and musicians as well, where we've done like, you know, um, collaborations with the sculpture and the sound and the visuals and it's like a whole multi-layered like uh, a creative uh, explosion that's and that's I love that stuff you know because that's like it's become it becomes something bigger than everyone you know everyone involved you know totally. uh, and uh, I, I, I'm totally into into that it's so super inspiring Help me understand 3D mapping and how you used it working with Wayne Ellis of Afterlife. Um, basically, yeah, the, the the technical aspect of it, there's more nuances that Wayne would be able to tell you, but you're using projectors and, you know, obviously the stronger the projector, the stronger the visual, the image. Um, and then there's the, you know, with, you know, the, the, the newest developments in software, things like, uh, Mad Mapper, Resolume, Modulate, um, and, you know, the guys are also using the gaming engines like Unity, um, you can do really, really amazing stuff where you can actually map out pieces of the sculpture, um, blast visual content onto that sculpture and bring it alive in a completely... A new way you know and you blend visuals and you can also mix it in with the sound and there's just it's just fantastic yeah i mean that's so important because when night falls something has to be done to make these projects come to life you know with the yeah. lighting and the music and and obviously yeah. the drugs yeah it doesn't it doesn't have to be i've also done pieces where there's no projection mapping at all and it's just beautiful low lights so it doesn't always have to be um, a blast off into this uh, psychedelic, uh, or, you know, light show. It is awesome, and it and it and it is fantastic. The um, the results, but it's not essential all the time. Like some of the some of my favorites works. You also see images on my Instagram of the of my shaman and also the piece in Tulum, where they just lit up with soft warm lighting at night, and it's also a really beautiful effect. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. So one good thing about kind of being the artist that you are somewhat anonymous, when you participate in these events or festivals and you can you gauge how your art is impacting everyone's experience with, while also kind of laying low? Um, I, yeah, I mean, you know, you walk through the crowds and you hear the responses. It's a really cool feeling, yeah. you know? 
Yeah. What do you like to see? I mean, how do you know that they're really responding to it like you would like you would hope? Um, I mean, obviously, there's um, there's some really it's after the effect after the event um, is is when I when when I can gauge the most. You'll see uh, some people have tattooed my art on their on their bodies. <laughs> I've seen that. that. I think I think I saw a boom shaman one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they they tattooed someone recently tattooed the modem piece. So I, I think when that when that's when people are tattooing. The work on themselves, I, I think that's the highest compliment you can get. Yeah, absolutely. So you did a piece back in 2013 for Africa Burn, and which was incredible. And I read that it stood for a year and then underwent a sort of ceremonial burn down. I imagine mm-hmm. you feel all kinds of emotions when your projects have to be torn down or burned. Um, a- absolutely. I, I definitely stopped doing that. I don't do it anymore. Um, I don't create temporary work anymore. So the work that I'll do for music festivals these days... Um, they'll be something that will tour with the music festival or um, you know be be purchased by the music festival be put in a storage and then be reused for the next five to ten years so it's so so there's no one-offs anymore Um, that was the I think one of the first and I think last time I ever burnt a sculpture and I mostly did it out of an out of a necessity as I didn't have anywhere to store the, the piece and no one it wasn't really built for for permanent install so there was no no one was going to buy that sculpture and have it on their property uh, and and obviously the burns are a leave no trace event so we had to get rid of this, get rid of it um, so we burnt it, and so um, there, and there, and 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 while it must, you know, it could seem that there was so like a, it was a deep moment, it was more just like a lot of fun, and a, and a relief, and then, uh, then then and then the pain the next day having to clean up all the nails and all the charcoal and all the, you know, it was it was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would assume so. I mean, are people contacting you to do individual, like more personal stuff where you maybe put it on their property at home? Yes, they are. Yeah. So that's, I recently, um, yeah, I recently did a piece for Tim Ferris at his house and I, and I've got a few other inquiries okay. in the pipeline. Yeah. So what do you guys do at Pop Productions? It currently focuses on some of these same creative concepts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, my my production company is now also branched into just also providing general festival um, like uh, vending needs. So lighting, um, shade canopies, um, uh, like general stuff like archways, entranceways, um, very basic stuff that I that I wouldn't necessarily call my art in a way. Uh, but we have the resources and capabilities to produce that stuff and there's definitely a need for it so it's uh, another stream of revenue where we can just provide stuff because a lot of festivals just need they'll need walkways we need something to activate a walkway what can we do here you know and then we can just bust out some some concepts and and make it happen for them Um, the team is also branches off into industrial design and stuff like that. So we're so if we need to do interesting things for nightclubs, um, I've done an interior design concept uh, for a nightclub before, and um, 
so yeah, so there's a lot of different little branches off that my production company then then take on, as well as there's also there's the odd stage stuff here and there that that doesn't necessarily make it to my portfolio. You know, mm-hmm. it's more you know it's more brand activation orientated stuff, and my my production team will handle that. Was there anything as cool as being able to make the tree of wisdom? I, I'm not. I don't think so. That was what definitely also one of the coolest projects we got to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, when they asked you to do that, how, how yeah. did you feel? It's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was shocked and nervous because I was like, oh, never done anything like this. Let's go for it, you know. Uh, um, came up with some concepts, sent them to the sent them to the client. They loved it, and uh, and then we went for it to get it made. And it was yeah, just such a cool process. Yeah, I imagine that's an incredible feeling. Is there a location or environment that is on your bucket list to build on? Um, Japan, Japan and Singapore. It's definitely, it's definitely an amazing. It, it's an amazing city. It, it looks so cool, so futuristic, you know. Um, yeah, so it's definitely a place that I'd love to experiment in. Hey? Japan and Singapore, very cool. So, what does the future hold for you? Is there anything that you're really excited about coming up? Uh, yeah, there is definitely. Um, in June next year. Uh, launching a uh, my first solo exhibition in at the Morton Arboretum in Chicago, which is the third largest tree museum in the United States. So that's going to be exciting. We're going to do five or six large scale pieces, and then we're going to add on one or two pieces each year, and the show runs for three years. Um, and that'll be I'm I'm really looking forward to it because um, it's it's a complete wide open audience it's not just for festival goers that are you know in a certain age bracket it's they're going to be doing school tours so there's education for school kids there's also like the tree appreciation societies much older people as well and the audience is is wide and vast and and that's a it's a you know it's a public space um, which is just really really exciting yeah, that is exciting. Are those installations going to be permanent, or will they be gone after that three years? Uh, no, so I've designed them to be perm- they they are permanent, as in they all last for many years. But they're going to be temporary in the space. So after the event in Chicago, they'll be up for sale. Very cool. Yeah. All right, Daniel. So just a couple more questions for you that I ask everybody at the end of the podcast. If you could have a drink with anyone in history, who would you choose and why? Oh, I think George Harrison would be definitely on the top of my list. Have you seen the the documentary on him? I have not. Um, There's a fantastic uh, documentary directed by Martin Scorsese. Um, I'll tell you the name, I think. It's called Living in a Material World. Okay. Yeah. Um, It's such an inspiring documentary. It's such a beautiful soul. So... Uh, such an inspiring creative journey um, and yeah made, and wrote and wrote some of the most beautiful songs in the, you know in, in, the, in the history of the Beatles and the world and what do you think you really admired about George I think it was just his personal journey of how he just you know went in into this um, was not was not the front man was not the lead man um, and then he also just he, he took his own personal journey in, into spirituality 
and he he went on his own sort of hero's journey and uh yeah and his story is beautiful i think i think that's that's you know when i see artists doing that i'm super inspired by it can't go wrong with scorsese so i'm gonna have to check that out so we kind of touched on this earlier but what are your daily non-negotiables things that no matter what will always be done Mm, coffee <laughs> a cup of coffee yeah that is not if i don't drink a cup of coffee in the morning the day is ruined same here so yeah. this was a lot of fun man you got any parting words yeah. for my listeners or any up-and-coming artists out there who need some inspiration yeah i mean i just think definitely don't be afraid to take risks and don't be afraid to make bad art if you're afraid to make bad art, then you won't make any art. So rather make bad art than no art. Awesome. So obviously you're active on Instagram at Daniel Popper. Where else should people go to learn more about you and to keep up with what you're doing? Um, it's mostly on Instagram. Uh, I do have a website that I update once a year. Uh, it's DanielPopper.com. Um, I recently just updated it, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very bad with it. Um, but yeah, the Instagram is, you can see what's happening. Cool, man. Well, this was so much fun. Thanks again for being on my yeah. show. Thanks, man. Thanks for the questions. Uh, really great. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to support this podcast by subscribing on iTunes and leaving me a review, following me on social media at Prime Philosophy, and just by spreading the word. Jacoba.